Welcome to the Improvement Nerds Podcast, where it's our goal to bring together a bunch of improvement nerds in order to start and improve evolution by providing people with a new tool set, a new skill set, and a new mindset. We're grateful that you're spending time with us today. If you enjoy what you hear, please follow our podcast and subscribe because there's sure to be good content that occurs in these conversations as we nerd out. Hey, Improvement Nerds, this is Tom back with another episode of the Improvement Nerds podcast. I'm going to jump in. I'm going to start this episode with a public apology. I've brought back Travis Lozier. So you heard from Travis during episode one and two. He helped me get this idea launched, and I'm forever grateful for that. Uh, But I show a weird way of expressing my love for him, and that's through giving him a hard time. So I've brought him back, and today we're going to be talking about process-based management. And I'm fitting Travis in intentionally after Emily and Dane Delosier's episode about the Enable management system. So Enable is the company that they have founded along with their third business partner. As they discuss in their episode, one of the key focuses of Enable is to help organizations understand what their process is for strategic planning and strategic deployment. I think it's really important the work that they're doing. A lot of organizations are doing those activities. However, they can't really explain how they do them. So when you're trying to be a process honoring culture or an organization that applies process-based management, you really focus on answering the how question. How do you do strategic planning? How do you do strategic deployment? How do you do goal setting? How do you do hiring? All those processes, they want to understand the how behind them. Not not what does the outcome look like or why are these things important to you, but how you do that. And because of that, I thought Travis's episode on process-based management would fit perfectly as a follow-up to Emily and Dane's conversation. All right, let's jump in. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, Improvement Nerds, this is Tom, back with another episode of the Improvement Nerd Podcast. Um, This episode should come with a disclaimer and a warning. Uh, If you guys listened to episode one and episode two, you met an individual who's quite the character, but a true friend of mine, and I've brought him back, uh, which is exciting for me, but, you know, if you... Um, in episode one and two, you're like, gosh, I never want to hear that guy again. Now, now's the chance for you to turn this episode off and you know do something else with your time. Um, but nonetheless, I'm excited to have Travis back. And today we're going to have a conversation uh, in regards to a specific topic. So instead of letting Travis nerd out about whatever he wants to nerd out about, which could be like a four-hour episode, um, we're going to be prescriptive and we're going to tell Travis specifically what we're nerding out about. But before we do that, I want to welcome Travis back and let him reintroduce himself. And I'm also, you know, it's been almost six weeks, maybe close to two months. So a lot of a lot has changed for you since you and I got this thing kicked off. So I want to revisit some of the things you've been up to. So give us your introduction and let us know what you've been doing and how how you're doing. Yeah, well well thanks Tom. And I think um it's great to be back. We started at the bottom, right? With me. And then you continue to get really good guests. So I have no idea why you brought me back, except for you wanted to bring that back down a little bit. So, um, you know, you've had incredible guests on the show. Um, I think, you know, Dane Delosier, Emily, Ray. I mean, the list goes on of like these rock stars. So I, I have no idea why you've invited me <laughs> back, to be honest with you, other than, um, you know, to talk about process-based management. I know 
Um, you're just being polite and being prescriptive, but that's your polite way of saying the only way to keep me on track is just to make sure that you have a set script of questions. So I'll do my best to be on my best behavior um, to keep your bar really high with this podcast. Um, you know, in these last six weeks, um, we're recording this right in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. And the last six weeks, I think, um, we're just experiencing a new normal. So we've had the chance to work with multiple healthcare systems and their preparation work for, you know, this pandemic, getting their team members ready, getting their communities ready. Uh, it's been fascinating to see how some health systems are connecting with food banks and with um, local churches, local um, individuals on PPEs and other things. It's just been you know, in the darkest of times, you can sometimes can see people's brightest lights. And I think that that's what we're seeing. And, um, and it's just been a gift to play such a small part in these systems that are doing some incredible work. And even as much as we, you know, think we're giving these people on the front lines dealing with this every day, those are the heroes of this work. So, you know, these last six weeks have just been nonstop kind of work and effort around that, but it's also been probably the most rewarding work that I've probably ever done. So thanks for having me back, Tom. And I'm looking forward to diving deeper into process-based management. So. Yeah, I'm so excited to see you and just to get to nerd out with you, you know, with the uh, events of COVID your work has kind of taken on a different purpose and a different meaning. So I'm excited you're taking time out of your day to hang out with us as I know those partners that you guys are working with uh, really need not, not your guys's guidance, but the structure that you bring because there's so much activity going on that their hearts are in the right place, but their heads are swirling. So they're probably struggling to coordinate their efforts and to get traction. So having partners like you and Jan and your guys' consulting group helps them to have that structure to where they can be better organized. And I think not only is that good for them, the partners that you have, the hospitals, but you can see that because they have stability, now they're taking and extending that outside of their four walls and they're giving that stability in the form of partnership to their suppliers or to their business partners and to their community members. And that is a role model organization that when facing crisis, you know, they quickly equip themselves with the tools that they need to be effective, but they're always thinking about the bigger picture and trying to be the, that stable anchor within their, their community to, to best serve not just their patients, but the society at large. So these organizations that you guys are supporting, it lifts my heart to hear that they're thinking about what they can be doing to ensure that, you know, someone in the community has access to food or that kids maybe who need access to technology to continue their education, that the hospitals who are influential players in their, in their communities can, you know, communicate that need and in some cases do something about that need. So they're doing those things while facing this pandemic. And that's, that's just true leadership. It's so cool to hear those stories and thanks for bringing that to us today. I hope as people listen to that, they themselves realize that they have an opportunity too to, to show up and 
just be present in this when there's a lot of confusion and chaos and just try to be steadfast and keep the bigger picture in mind that we're all in this together and people are suffering in different ways and we can be there for each other and that'll ease that suffering. So such a huge message. Thanks for bringing that, Trav. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, the, the only other thing I would add to that, and it just makes me think of something that I learned from you several years ago. I think one thing that this is really shined a light on is that, you know, some of these clients that we're helping with now, their traditional environment had been, you know, I wake up in the morning, I come to an office, I sit in kind of some type of office or cube, or I, I work on a floor, and I have relationships with the team that I'm on. And imagine in our current reality, all those people that are used to that norm are working virtually. And it's exposed, I think, a different level of ways that we can practice, you know, how do you stay engaged with your workforce when you have social distance that's a factor? And I think some of the main terms being tossed around now are, you know, social distancing from a physical perspective doesn't mean social disengagement by kind of this staying connected with your team members. So, you know, this whole idea that you've mentioned in the past of we are who we are 100% of the time this idea of I can be a different person when I'm at work versus when I'm at home has really just kind of evaporated because people now are, you know, on these Zoom meetings or on these, you know, Microsoft team meetings, whatever medium they're using, and they're in their home environment, um, and they're extremely vulnerable. And that's just proposed different challenges for us to navigate now. But I think it's really letting us be who we're intended to be without these artificial barriers of I'm one person at work versus I'm one person at home. So um, I've, I, I reflect on that lesson you taught me several years ago, almost daily now that we're in this new norm. And I think that it's ultimately going to be beneficial for us as a, it's kind of the human race <laughs> once we get through this. So, yeah, you know, look at me already going off script. How I long know. did that take? Two minutes? <laughs> yeah, we need to bring in some media management tools and I got to get a parking lot or something and be like, Travis, that's a brilliant idea. Can we put that in the parking lot? No, I'm glad. I, I don't care if you go off script. I, lo- I love the way you think and the leadership that you bring to big problems. And it's not you don't show up just with, you know, good intelligence, but you always show up with a really whole heart and put that out there and try to lead people in a way that um, encourages them and embraces them. And you're right, this change happened pretty abruptly. And because the abruptness, I'm sure a lot of people are feeling like things were taken away from them. And that can cause uh, grief. And a lot of people are grieving. And, you know, that's hard to deal with. But more and more, because you start to get comfortable being uncomfortable, you become creative and innovative and you learn how to be effective in your new world. And I think we're seeing innovation and we're seeing ideas and we're seeing different types of leadership occur amidst this challenge. And it's hard to like put your finger on how things will be different afterwards, but I know that there is going to be positive change. And Hopefully, you know, this is just a a proving point for us as a nation and as people that we are capable of enduring and facing and overcoming challenges that we have before and we will again in the future. 
And the only way that we are ever successful is through our relationships and our trust in each other to, you know, assume positive intent and to make the best of what we we have and to be resourceful in, in giving of those resources to each other so that we can all rise together. That's just, that's how you take on the world. And that's what I've always loved about you. Yeah, for sure. It's the only way to live. Yeah. So on these two topics that we were talking about engagement and creating purposeful work for people. And we talked about corporate social responsibility and providing service to your community and to be an anchor institution for your community. So for organizations to have the capacity to focus on those two things right now, I'm going to go out on a limb here. And I'm thinking the only reason they can do that is because the processes that they employ are so well-defined and have been demonstrated to be reliable over time. So they're not, you know, concerned about can our processes rise to meet this challenge and can our operators be effective amidst this challenge? They have pretty high levels of certainty that, yeah, those things are true. We know these processes work because we've studied these processes and we put things in place to standardize these processes and equip our workforce with the skills they need to execute these processes. And because of these things, the energy level to manage these processes right now are relatively low. We're not having to firefight. Yeah, there's changes that have to happen, but they're not massive overhauls. And because they're not spending time and energy, you know, fixing broken process or extinguishing fires that are blowing up, they can, you know, manage their business and change their business at the same time, where some organizations, maybe they don't have a good pulse on what their processes are and how their processes work, or the workforce isn't proficient or efficient in managing those processes. So they're taking on water right now. So they don't have the capacity to do anything but fight the fire right now versus those who, you know, have studied these things and they know them well enough. They're not firefighting. They're looking out the window and they're trying to keep an eye on the bigger picture, whereas those that are underwater, they're just thinking day to day, sometimes minute to minute, hour to hour, how do we keep things going? So I think process-based management is a timely conversation because the reliability of your processes is what gives you reliability of your results. And um, if you can trust your process, you can step away from them and let them do what they were designed to do versus, hey, like, I don't know my process, therefore I got to babysit it. So talk to me a little bit about process-based management. I set the stage for, I, I think there's a, a very evident case why it's important, because when you're facing uncertainty, if you don't know what your processes are, that's just a, like a double whammy. <laughs> but when facing uncertainty, if you know your processes pretty well, I think you have something to stand on. So. You know, do you agree with that? No, Tom, I absolutely agree with that. And I think that was a really great summary of um, the current state, in fact, right now. And I think um, just reflecting as you were talking, you know, Deming probably said it best when he said every system's perfectly designed to get the results that it gets. And what that means is exactly what you were articulating, that every process is perfectly designed to get, get the results that it's getting. And if 
you're not getting the outcome or a process metric that you um, that matters to you is not performing at a level, typically it's not a people-related issue. It's the way the process has been designed that it's delivering those kinds of results. So process-based management really is a management discipline that helps you better understand how to design, improve, and manage your processes, really, those three components. It's um, much bigger than improvement. And I remember early on in my professional journey kind of having that breakthrough moment because my career path went from IT being geeked out about the technical side of you know technical solutions to having this realization that technology is just a means to an end by helping people do things better, faster, more efficiently, quicker, you know, add your attribute there to getting introduced to the improvement sciences, thinking that, you know, look at all these cool improvement tools that we can make processes better to most recently that there is a whole batch of business process management discipline that surrounds the improvement around how do you design processes, how do you um, improve, and then to your last point, how do you manage these things to make sure that you're um, providing some type of process oversight to these things to make sure that they're, you know, processing effectively. And the other thing that I think I've learned over the years is that, you know, organizations typically Um, And I'm just using a generalization here. You know, they have these annual reviews for how well our employees are engaged and we measure that and track that, which which is very important. But I would encourage our listeners to just think back, how often do organizations do a similar assessment to how well their processes are performing? And this notion and idea of organizations treating their processes like an asset was a key breakthrough for me. And it's just, you know, if you can get your organization to think like that, like your process is just as much of an asset as, you know, um, other organizational assets, that's when you start to see this kind of mindset shift, I think, for people thinking that, you know, if we really spend some time designing these processes well, measuring them well, monitoring them well, that that can be just as valuable to the organization as, Um, any other organizational asset, if not more important. So I think that there's a lot there in this whole concept of, you know, business process management that goes well beyond traditional improvement approaches. So, and ultimately what what moves me most about this and what really got my heart when, when I started learning about this is that a lot of this comes back to respect for people. And if you can design a process that ultimately adds the most valuable to your end customer um, and doing so with the most, you know, effective, efficient way, least waste, least variation. Ultimately, that's respect for your workforce too. Um, It's ultimately very disrespectful to ask any person to do something that you know doesn't add value or is wasteful or at the end of this is going to produce some type of defect. And um, if you can start to wrap your mind around all of this work is about respecting for people. You just move differently. You, you think about this work differently and um, you all, you know, you almost go on a mission <laughs> to, to try to find ways to make things better. And that's what, that's what gets me up every morning really is, is just that idea that um, we can do better and, and our people deserve better. So, and, and when you think about that within the context now that, 
um, the, the need for repeatable, reliable, easy, frictionless uh, processes, um, it's vital right now, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So there's, I'm going to try to tie a couple of things I heard you say into uh, some of the things I've heard my other guests say. So Rachel Pritz, when I talked to her and even on her episode, she's convinced that, you know, our society has benefited from a lot of revolutions. We've had the industrial revolution, so on and so forth. So these advancements of industry that have improved our capabilities to, you know, deliver um, services and goods that have made a a vibrant economy. And she's convinced we're moving into a human revolution. And I'm calling this an evolution. So that's from your and I's dear friend, Mark Haitoff, who says, you know, what we're doing here is we're empowering people. We're starting an evolution. So what you're saying there in some ways, I think um, process management allows us to actually be successful in this revolution. First, you know, do you agree that maybe we are moving into a human revolution or an improved evolution? So I want to get your mind on thinking about that. And then the other thing is I talked to Andrea Butcher, and she defined, um, like in a very nerdy way, she went all the way to the root definition of leader and manager. And she said a lot of individuals confuse the two. And leadership, in, in some ways, their responsibilities are to help create belonging and to um, motivate and engage. And then your manager is more at the execution part. And a lot of times management, um, you know, is, is overlooked as being important. And in this time in um, era where we're facing uncertainty, we need both. And I, if you look on social media, there's a lot of leadership being discussed. And there's a lot of thought leaders showing up talking about leadership. But there's, I haven't seen too much activity about management and people, you know, giving direction and helping to execute and to deliver consistently. That's important right now. So I'm, I'm curious what your thinking is around, are we moving into a human revolution? And um, what do you think about the important, how, what do you think about the role managers play during the challenges we currently face? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And I would be really silly to disagree with Rachel or Andrea as uh, thought leaders on, on this topic. I absolutely agree that we're moving into this kind of improve evolution or human kind of side of this. And some of the terms that you see in our field is called industry 4.0. And really, when you look at that and unpack that, it's interesting because it's got this kind of facade of this is about um, automation, big data exchange, internet of things, cloud computing, cognitive computing, artificial intelligence. And you look at that and you say, well, that's all technical skills. And that's all heavy in the technical side. But when you start to look at some of the research coming out of um, firms like APQC and the Association for Business Process Management Professional, some of the highest skills in the workforce they're projecting are the human side of change and the human skills. 
In fact, one survey I saw that um, APQC released just, I think, last month had that being the most critical future-ready skill you can start to develop is this human side of, of skills. And you can theorize what, what that means and go down several different paths with that. But in this future world of um, robotic process automation and streamlined processes, all, by the way, require good process discipline for that stuff to work. Um, that if, if you don't have the human skills um, to help foster that change and ready the workforce, um, you know, I, I think you're going to be at a disadvantage because all of this does, in my mind, it helps people make deeper, more meaningful co- connections. If you think about process automation, all, all that means to me is that it's eliminating the non-value added things that some type of technology can do so I can better serve my end customer. That's all that means. That doesn't mean human jobs are going away. That just means that we're better positioning our humans to pay, play, for our, play to our strengths. Um, you know, why would you have a human do something that a computer can do ultimately, you know, just by sending an, e- you know, an email or message? Um, so it's interesting, and I completely agree with that. And Industry 4.0 sometimes looks very heavy on technical, you know, the technical side of this. When I when I think it's all, almost the opposite, it's it's a it's a shift towards you know getting humans back some time to do what what we can do best, and that's make meaningful connections and um, ultimately better serve you know each other. Yeah, th- thanks for sharing that and nerding out with us about what's coming. This um, automation ki- effort, this, this, these events that are unfolding, artificial intelligence and all the things you'd list, are causing people to feel um, uneasy and concerned. Where do I fit in in these things? And I think, you know, as you've done your research, you've always said that, well, computers can't practice empathy. So, you know, that is what we as humans are capable of that no other anything can really emulate or do. And the other thing is, is to prepare for that type of automation, we have to have well-defined processes first, because if you automate an inefficient or broken process, you just maximize the risk of that process faltering or failing and so we have work to do to prepare for that automation as well yeah 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 i think you know bill gates said it almost exactly like you said it he said if you automate an inefficient process you magnify those inefficiencies so if you've got broken processes to begin with and you try to apply any kind of automation in some ways, you're magnifying the waste and defects. So you're just making more defects faster that ultimately could get to your end user. And you, you say that out loud and you're like, why would we ever do anything like that? But that's what happens sometimes when you don't have this mindset. Um, so it's fascinating um, when you think through these things that way. Yeah. So I'd also talked a little bit about leadership and management. And a lot of focus right now is on leaders and the pe- and the importance of creating a pathway and being a good role model uh during this time of uncertainty you don't see too much on 
the role of the manager right now. So share your thoughts on how managers play a vital and important role in our current current situation with COVID-19, but in everyday situations and helping businesses be effective? Yeah, I, I think that's a really good question because I think people are evaluating, you know, how can I best be a leader in this time of crisis or what does that look like? And what I'm seeing is that in this current state where it's easy to pull away and create that distance, both physically and even emotionally to your team, I think what I'm seeing is the good leaders are kind of leaning into that and saying, how do I not let this be a barrier? And how do I show up more for my team? And how do I be more present for my team, even if I can't physically see the person every day like I I might have in the past? And in fact, we're working on a concept now. It's almost more of a it's kind of a wellness type of rounding that says, you know, it's not good enough anymore for us just to evaluate how our team's doing on just kind of performance and goals. We want to check in on their well-being as well. <laughs> and what what I think we're seeing in this time is that, you know, people sometimes, if you're not if you're not rigorous and disciplined and checking in with your team you could really lose sight of how people are coping with this. And I think good leaders right now are showing up for their team members in really important ways. They're not checking in on, you know, are you producing this number of widgets this week? They're asking more questions around, how are you doing this week, Tom? How's your family doing this week, Tom? What can I do to support you this week, Tom? Um, And I think those are different question sets that I think um, you know, some leaders or, you know, good leaders probably typically always ask those types of things. But in this time, I, I think the more we can do to re- really make authentic, meaningful connections, I, I think we need that more than ever. I mean, would you agree with that? I, I do. And in management, a lot of their time and attention is spent on managing KPIs, key performance indicators. So they're your process metrics that you track and trend and you study. And these process metrics are predictive of your outcome metrics. So managers have the responsibility to oversee those metrics and to study the behavior of those metrics to know when the process is out of control and if intervention is needed. So your your frontline and your managers oftentimes are the problem solvers. And they're solving problems around KPIs, your key process indicators. And what you're talking about is, okay, that's a great scorecard to have as a manager and has an organization to keep a pulse on those process metrics. How do we expand that scorecard to include metrics at a personal level? So not just KPIs, you know, key performance indicators, but what are our key people indicators? So what is their energy um, on that specific day? What are their concerns on that specific day, including those metrics as part of that manager's responsibility, I think is really innovative and hopefully something that we could see more broadly deployed. I really love that idea. And I'm going to ask for your permission to use it because it's, it really is, it's these key wellness indicators, KWIs. Oh, I love it. 
And you, what, you know, the, the question set that I've been experimenting with is just basic questions. I am satisfied with my overall wellness. My work was meaningful and challenging this week. I was able to use my strengths this week. How well did you connect with your team this week? Did you connect with your leader this week? Um, what are you most grateful for this week? And what was your greatest accomplishment? So questions like that, I think the more leaders can ask their team members, those types of things could be very insightful to how well people are coping with the current state of this pandemic. And I think those questions hold true and whatever this future state looks like, because I think they're just really good questions that help better understand where people are and are they making meaningful connections? And, you know, you can monitor and track those questions really well. And I think they tell you important things about how your um, team is functioning from a wellness perspective. And it's, you've really got to look that at it in of one, you've got to look at that people by people, um, person by person to just really uh, evaluate and assess that. So I think that your concept of you know, key people indicators or key wellness indicators. I, I love the idea of getting those more visible on these kind of scorecards. And I think sometimes, you know, we, we think we do a good job of doing that by putting our engagement scores and things like that. But I, th- I think we can do more. You know, I, th- I think we can do more. I, I agree. And I love that they're question based. So in management, that rounding principle. I'm assuming organizations that are rounding, they're asking a couple of these questions. So if you, if you as an organization, if you're not rounding, if your managers are not rounding with their direct report and having conversations about how things are going at a process level or at a personal level, let this be the wake up call that you need to start routinely having conversations like that. So Travis just listed a couple of the key wellness questions to ask. Well, the same is true for KPIs. These are questions that are being asked uh, in these conversations. So some of the KPI questions I'm used to is, you know, do you have the resources you need to do your job, for Mm -hmm. example? Um, Do you have clarity or understanding of what good looks like? You know, how do you know we won today or yesterday? So what data are you looking at that suggests that we are meeting our goals and targets? What barriers are preventing you from achieving our goals and targets? So these are conversations that really shorten the feedback loop so that if an opportunity exists, it can quickly be detected. And a lot of times in management and process-based management, we're focusing on these KPIs in order to manage that asset. And yes, processes are an asset, but obviously your people are probably your most important asset. And we aren't doing opportunity analysis around them. And I think this is pretty cutting edge, Trav, because mm-hmm. burnout is a rampant. It is very um, present in organizations and in, in a lot of public uh, publications I've read. It's been uh, recently identified as a mental health condition. And this is a big opportunity for organizations to create safety and to host conversations that allow them to detect and measure burnout and mitigate it instead of there's, we haven't had the conversation. 
therefore we don't we're not aware that it exists and because it's present and it's undetected it just grows and magnifies and becomes more problematic i think adding these key wellness questions to your key process questions and asking them both concurrently helps organizations have a pulse on everything that matters their processes and their people yeah i I love that tom and i think that in that comment you made was just a a vivid reminder to me that in any organization your people are your most valuable process and i think sometimes when you talk about business process-based management um you just need to continue to pull that up to the top to make sure that people know that they're always the most valuable resource, but you also have to evaluate your processes to make sure that they're delivering, you know, the results that um, you would expect them to to deliver. So I really do think there's something here that's pretty significant. And the other thing that as you were talking about that, it made me, made me think about another dot I wanted to connect today was one of the things that we're seeing more and more mainstream now is this concept of digital transformation. And there's a lot of different definitions, you know, kind of out there on the web. But in my simple mind, I think of digital transformation of how do we convert some of the the things that we've done um, traditionally into this digital world of um, automation, artificial intelligence, and things like that. And one of the things that I try to do for clients and people is it goes back to what we were saying about the automation piece. If you try to automate an inefficient process, you're just going to magnify that inefficiency. When when you hear these organizations say that they're on this digital transformation journey, please, you know, again, just make sure that the underlying processes of that transformation are sound and fertile and efficient and effective because anytime you're making this move to digital, there's a lot of risk of, if your processes aren't sound, that you can really um, magnify those inefficiencies and ways. So um, I think digital transformation is not going away. It's um, you can't even open any mainstream management or leadership publication and not see something about digital transformation. And all that is, is business process management, (laughs) you know, so. And, trying to minimize the manual activities within that process to gain economies of scale and to improve reliability with less effort. So in your and I's portfolio of work when we were together in our previous role and now that we're both out on our own and we share client partners, um, I know that your portfolio and my portfolio has had a lot of HR transformation work in it, right? And on this podcast, I've had a lot of individuals with HR backgrounds has guests and talking about recruiting and ensuring that. So Jacqueline's one of those guests who came and she talked about like my role is to help identify top talent and to help the organizations bring that talent in and allow that talent to feel welcome and to feel embraced and to have a home. And that is really robust thinking about the role of HR. And for that future reality to actually occur, the humans within HR have to have the capacity to make those connections 
and to build those relationships with those prospective recruits who will become uh, new employees during orientation and who will become potential successors and brand ambassadors of your organization and who will become retirees of your organization. And for that reality to actually occur, your HR team can't be inundated and overwhelmed with manual process that is not, you know, playing to that person's skill set. So in some Mm -hmm. ways, transformation, it does it, I'm sure in the middle of it, those HR professionals or anyone who's going through a transformation, even right now, can feel like a lot of things are being taken away from them, that there's loss that's occurring. But I, I would encourage individuals to think about what can be gained. And in the example that I was just giving about HR transformation, the recruiter who is now getting new tools, new technology that allows them to work smarter instead of harder, gives them the time and space that they need to do what they are truly experts at, which is to build relationships. And I know that you are working with organizations. Um, I was in these organizations too, and their HR teams were going through change and the leadership of those organizations, they were working really hard to create that vision around, well, this is what this is going to allow us to do. We are going to become a magnet for talent. We are going to position people to do meaningful work and to have joy at work. And we're going to give people a career here and hopefully see them into retirement. Those were the the things that HR was starting to say, this is what we do now. It's no longer I process a paycheck or I manage a complaint or I help provide uh, information or answers to questions that only I know how to answer. Those things now, they're relying on knowledge articles and help desk function and, and process automation to provide the workforce with those things a lot sooner. So one, in some ways, the transformation is saying, hey, trust your employees. They're fully capable of changing their bank routing information. You, HR person, um, thank you for sheltering that and doing that for as long as you have. Now with technology, the employee can do that for themselves. And in this transition, you're saying, hey, we trust you. And now we trust this process. And this is giving us time back in our day. So you know, what you were saying, I'm just trying to bring it back to like a real world example of how transformation can be gaining. Like you can gain quite a bit in in that example. But what we're facing right now, like there is change all around us. And I think a lot of people are feeling that, uh, exhausted or anxious about what all these changes mean. That I think that's because they're focusing on all the things they're giving up. And if we can find a way to focus on all the things we're potentially gaining we're going to have a different attitude about this. Yeah. When you were talking, that did remind me of, we, we just finished probably a month ago, a Kaizen event with a client looking at their HR processes from recruiting to that first day of onboarding. And just envision, if you will, this huge wall that has tons of post-it notes. We just did a value stream map and um, the recruiter specifically, once we mapped the current state and did the future state, um, one of the recruiters, I remember this because I captured a lot of testimonials. She said, um, you know, if, if we can go from that current state to this future state, I will actually be able to talk to candidates 
because in her current state, Tom, what, what she was doing and the whole recruiter team was doing was essentially moving paper or moving electronic paper, routing forms, you know, approving forms. And when you think about what, what is the power of some of this business process management and automation is that it really does eliminate those tasks and activities that don't add value. So recruiters, people like recruiters can actually talk to the candidates and something so simple like that is so powerful. And it's just like, it's just the, it's the John Wooden quote that I always use. It's never mistake activity for achievement. And I think when you start asking your teams to think about what's really value added you know, in this example to the candidate or to the organization um, and empowering them to think differently. That's where the magic of this stuff really happens. And, um, you know, that's, that's the power of this. And I, and I think it's, it's powerful because of the, you know, of the improvement sciences, but ultimately it's powerful because of the humanization of this work that we've um, talked about. That's going to be vital for our success in the future. Yeah, I agree that personal touch of the human factor in the services we provide, whether it is extending an offer to someone to become part of your organization as an employee, there is really good standout organizations that do that well, and they're really hard to compete with because there's a lot of organizations that haven't invested in the ability to allow their workforce to be present and to have those conversations and to build those relationships. So if, if those organizations want to stay relevant, they need to create the space to compete in a way that the others are already doing, which is um, building relationships. If, if you want to bring in talent, we're focusing a lot on HR here, but if you want to bring in talent, you're going to have to realize that that talent is a person and they, they want to work with a person. They don't. So yeah. I, I love this. And I think it, you've opened the door through this episode to a lot of um, exciting things that, that could become reality if we start to make investments in, in those things. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So. And before before we um, get too far, and I, I think we're probably going to get ready to wrap up, I just got to say I really like your hat. Yeah, yes, <laughs> we should have we should have brought this up at the kickoff that we showed up for our Zoom podcast with both a cup of coffee in hand and getting caffeinated, and then once the video came on, we realized we were wearing the same hat that our our wives had purchased for us while they were. Uh, out in Atlanta at the Olympic trials marathon. And I I think I wear my hat a little better than you do. Oh, there's no question about (laughs) that. There's no question about that. Yeah. You, you wear everything better than I would, Tom, even, even a beard. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Without not, you know, not having to go and be physically present with people, the beard is uh, getting to be the longest I've ever had it. Nice. Yeah. Oh man. So Travis, I can't thank you enough for coming on to this episode and uh, helping to celebrate organizations that are truly doing what it's going to take to be world class and to be a leader and start to role model what good looks like and to you know push the ball forward and say 
you know, this, these challenges are not going to define us, but how we rise to them and overcome them will. And yeah. the processes we create or the innovation that we bring to this are going to lay the foundation for the next steps so that we can use this as a building block. And I think process management is one of those mul- multiple ways organizations can, you know, problem solve better, create better, empower better and just grow as an organization to, you know, overcome this challenge, but to also be in a position to whatever the next challenge is, they can uh, address that challenge with vigor and confidence that we can succeed here. So thank you for, you know, that, that type of energy that you create. I I know the audience is going to appreciate it. And I know people listening to this, I, I think that if they don't know, if they didn't know about process management, before they came on, hopefully they're motivated to do a little bit of research and nerd out about it for themselves. Yeah. Well, thanks, Tom. And um, keep up the good work with the Improvement Nerds podcast. Um, you've done a fascinating job with, with this work. And um, I know I speak on behalf of Jan and Tammy and everyone. We're grateful that you're a member of our extended team, Tom. You do us proud and um, keep on keeping on, brother. All right, Lozier. You do the same, man. Thanks for coming on. All right. Thanks, Tom. Yep.